This is the Benefits Buzz Podcast, your weekly pulse on what's happening in the world of employee benefits. Brought to you by your friends at WEX, who believe in simplifying benefits for everyone. Now listen up, and let's get buzzed! Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Benefits Buzz. I'm your host, Nathan Coverstone. You know, open enrollment is just a couple of months away for most of you, and that means that you're likely already in the throes of planning for it. We surveyed our participants earlier this year to learn more about their benefits needs, and we had about 60,000 individuals respond to our survey. We'd like to share some of that information with you today because we feel like it might help inform your open enrollment planning as you look to better support your employees, all while boosting your retention numbers. Hayden Gothy, who is our Senior Content Marketing Strategy here at WEX, will be joining me as a guest to discuss the results of our survey. Hayden, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, Nathan. Nice to be here again. You're always a welcome guest. So I've got a ton of questions about our survey, but before we get into the findings, can you tell us a little bit more about the survey? Who did we survey? What did we survey? And and what were we really hoping to achieve? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh, yes, this was an exciting venture for 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 me and for the team. Um, you know, so we surveyed, uh, we sent a survey to HSA, FSA, and HRA participants who were eligible to receive a survey. I won't get into all the details of that, but um, we surveyed them back in May of this year, and uh, we've received responses from almost sixty thousand. So a pretty good, pretty good, healthy chunk of people that makes the survey more than credible. Um, and, and really, the goal of the survey was to just learn more about some of their wants and needs. Um, but it, it wasn't, you know, it was on a broad level. It was some of it was messaging, some of it was content, um, some of it was even like, how do you like to get help? You know, where do you like to find resources? Things like that. Anything that we could leverage from a content team standpoint to produce the type of content that helps them better understand the the benefits that they're enrolled in. Um, but we also partnered too with the service teams here at Wex, and we partnered with uh, product marketing and product. So there were there were other stakeholders in here as well that that were informing some of what we got. And uh, it was really interesting. Eighty two percent of the response we had in the survey said they were very involved in making decisions regarding their benefits. So this is a really highly engaged group of respondents that we had. Yeah, it's actually really, really impressive. I mean, regardless of who we had to partner with to get there, to get sixty thousand individuals to respond that in and of itself is really impressive. So, so great job. Um, I'll, without further ado, I, I want to dive right into kind of a high level finding. So how important are benefits to our survey respondents? Well, they're really important. And I think that's like a really important, you know, thing to understand for, you know, employers and consultants as most of them approach, you know, open enrollment this year is that, um, that this is a, a, a you know, a, an aspect of, what you're offering your employees it's really important to hear is we're still really in the middle of the great resignation it never really ended like that was a phrase that got coined in 2021 but it's still very much a part of our lives um you know we had uh, on a scale of zero to ten with ten being extremely important the mean score was 9.11 uh when asked you know how important of a role benefits play in their consideration of a job so um that's pretty dang close to everybody saying ten yeah, so, that's that's significant. There is no question. And there there are external surveys that support that too. I know there's a survey that we've linked to before, and Danielle Camp, who's was our producer, produced a lot of content too. And we've linked to a uh, external survey too that said that you know after compensation that benefits is the second most important thing. So not completely surprised by that finding, but um, nevertheless, we did ask the question. 
Sure. Now, as I understand it, we also asked respondents how confident they were in the benefits that were being offered. What did we learn with, with regard to their confidence level? Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it varied a lot, and I think that informed a lot of, um, you know, what we were. It, it, it will inform a lot, I think, when you really think about messaging. Um, you know, we had 25% of respondents say, again, on the same scale, 0 to 10, uh, 10 being, you know, the highest end. 25% uh, selected a 10, uh, but another 35% chose 7 or less. So I think, you know, what that tells me is that it's just really important to provide opportunities for employees who want more education to be able to get it, but not everybody wants that either or needs that. Um, you know, so, you know, you could think through that from a standpoint of, you know, there could be more internal resources that you're providing, more external ones. I think to me, like, what would be a really good idea is, is you know, if you're an employer out there listening to this or a consultant works with employers, you know, really thinking of opt-in opportunities for employees to learn more about their benefits so that those employees who in a survey like that answer 35% of them chose seven or less, like they can come in and get the kind of education they need, but not everybody needs to get it because again, a lot of people get email fatigue. And so that's just something to really think about too. Yeah, absolutely. No, email fatigue, I, I know certainly for myself is a very real thing, but I also do want the education so that I can make sure I know how to best use my benefits, which kind of brings up one of the, uh, a big question, a fun question uh, that was asked in the survey, which was, do you feel your employer gives you the resources you need to make decisions about what benefits to enroll in during open enrollment? What did we get as far as feedback from that question? Uh, yeah, I, I think that was really interesting, but I thought it was really interesting in a good way. I mean, 90% of them said yes, that their employer gives them the resources that they need. And, I, you know, I, still room for improvement, of course, but, you know, if you recall as we've kind of walked through, I mean, they're, you know, despite despite that, there was still a wide swath of employees who were answering seven or less to that question, right? So there's still a lot of room for improvement from that standpoint. Um, I don't know how to interpret that. I mean, you're, you're kind of interpreting these findings. Um, you know, in in some ways, so like, I think it could mean that there are resources out there that employees acknowledge they're just not using those resources. It could mean that employees sure. aren't really sure where to find them, uh, that they elect for coverage or benefits during open enrollment, and then they just kind of really don't remember what they had is possible. Because really, when you think about healthcare, like the thing about healthcare is it's security, right? Like you want it to be there when you really need it, Absolutely. and so. You know, again, like I might sign up for an FSA in November, but I don't need my FSA until June. And then, you know, if I'm new to an FSA, I'm suddenly looking around like, did I sign up for an FSA? And how did that work again? Like, what do I have to do? So there could be some of that happening as well. So, you know, I, I and I agreed. I, I when I saw 90 percent, I was a little bit surprised. I thought, wow, I, I didn't expect that number. I think that's great that that's the number, but I, I was a little bit surprised by it. But I, I'd like to walk us back just a little bit, if I could, Hayden, when we were talking about how employers are communicating out to their participants. I, I know that that communication from the employer to their employee is tremendously important. So what did we learn from our participants regarding their preferred education methods? Yeah, uh, email is king. I mean, email was far and away the, the number one method that uh, participants were choosing when asked, you know, uh, what kind of method they would like to receive education from. Um, handouts and Google search were also really popular. Blog posts and YouTube were not far behind those. So that, that was basically the top five among those options. But um, selfishly exciting answers for, for myself and our team because Google search, <laughs> blog posts, YouTube, I mean, those are things we're all pretty heavily involved with. So 
um, that was good to know. But, you know, again, I think that that direct email was a, a um, was the number one choice pretty clearly. Sure. What about service options? Did they, did they have any clear preferences there? They did. You know, I think it's it's kind of a mix, as we all know, with service. That's some of the challenge with with service is, um, you know, that everybody, you know, we all kind of consume information differently today. Um, you know, but yeah, when you get back to like, you know, how they would like to get answers to their questions, the clear top two were search and read an article and email. So um, again, email was really high up. Search was really high up again. So I think that speaks to a lot of the importance of like self-help, you know, like at WEX, for example, we have a participant knowledge base where participants can go onto our website and search help articles to find uh, the help that they need, you know, but again, the, those other options too, like phone call, chat, search and watch a video, those were all pretty high in terms of responses too, which just kind of speaks to like really important to offer like a diverse set of service methods. Because again, there, there are people who love to call in and get the answer they need via phone call. And then there are some people who are like, that is, you know, I've, we've all talked to people, right? That is like the last thing some people want to do from a service perspective is have to make a phone call. Um, so, uh, you know, again, offering those diverse methods is really important. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand and agree with what you're saying, Hayden. I think to, to have that multi-pronged, multi-tiered kind of approach so that, that really employees can, can educate themselves in, in a way that is most convenient and conducive to their learning is going to be the key to success for, for all of our various clients. Absolutely. Uh, so the next finding I also found to be very, very interesting. Uh, we asked how many of you feel your benefits address all of your needs. So beyond just education, we're actually now starting to dig into questions around are, are the benefits you're actually being offered what you need to, to, to be successful in your life or, or to meet whatever life requirements are for those individuals. What did we find out or, or what did we learn from that question? Yeah, this was interesting. Uh, we, we did have a few questions where we had an open form, so they would answer a question like that. And then if you said no, you know, they don't meet all of your needs. Here are some answers, you know, or what what is missing, right? Um, and we just recently published a blog post on this topic, too. So I would encourage you to, to check out the, the benefits blog on our website if, uh, if you want to read more about it. But we had uh, participants, 77% said that their benefits address all of their needs. So that means 23% said that they don't. And so from that 23%, they were they were invited again, like, what's missing? What are you missing? I, I would say that the common thread, you know, of what was missing was just choice. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily like, I want a high deductible health plan. I want a low deductible health plan. I want an FSA. Um, it was really like, I want the option to choose those things. And so, you know, we do have, you know, there is data, um, not, uh, you know, more national data around like, what percentage of employers offer, for example, just looking at the health plans, like a high deductible health plan versus a traditional health plan. Like some employers offer both, some employers only offer one or the other. Um, I would say that choice was was a pretty common thread in that, that, you know, we did have some people say, hey, I only get offered an FSA, but I want an HSA. We had some people say, I only get offered an HSA, but I want an FSA. Um, the other ones that, that showed up a lot were dental, vision, and wellness. Um, and some of that too wasn't, some of it was, yeah, I want dental coverage, but some of it was, I need more robust dental coverage or I need more robust vision coverage. So, um, yeah, I, it, those were those were the five common ones that showed up were really deductibles, so savings accounts, dental vision, wellness, but choice was a very common thread with all of it. 
you know, that that resonates to me. I can't think of any example in my life where I don't appreciate or value having a choice, especially when we're talking about things that are definitely going to impact my life. So I think it's worth calling out that if you have the opportunity as an employer to to provide choices, benefit options, uh, you may find that, that your employees are really appreciative of that. Absolutely. Uh, now, I also understand that we asked about what was one benefit that they would like to learn more about. And I'm really excited to hear uh, how they answered that question because I'm always curious to know what's on the top of people's minds as far as what they're really looking for. Yeah, this was an interesting response too. Um, you know, we had health savings account was number one. Um, no surprise there, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's interesting because like the next two that come to me are like less popular accounts. Like they're not as commonly enrolled in. So like, I'm not sure how to interpret that. So HSA was number one. And from popularity standpoint, I could see where that would happen. But then after that, it was lifestyle spending account and pet insurance, really? um, which are less engaged in accounts. So I think, I think part of it, you know, when you think about HSAs, which, you know, is something that, you know, we all in this call have spent a lot of time talking about, um, they cover so much ground that, you know, some people are using them for immediate needs. Some people are using them as long-term savings accounts. Some people are investing their funds. Like I've started investing my funds. So they kind of operate like 401k in that way. And I think all that flexibility does lead to a lot of people maybe being confused about how to use them or they've used them one way and they want to learn how to use them another way. So I think that could be part of what's going on there. Because again, like, I mean, before I got this job, I'd never had an HSA before and I had to have my youngest brother had to explain to me what one was and how it worked. And, you know, so I think that's where that one shows up Um, because FSAs are probably a little more cut and dry. So even though they're just as popular, it's a little clearer on what you can do with them. Um, LSAs are surging in popularity. We have a lot of data around how, how they've become a lot more popular. Uh, We've seen a 115% year over year increase in employers offering LSAs among our partners uh, in the last year. So, I mean, um, they're becoming a lot more popular. That's a, again, for those of you listening, that's a post-tax account that employers can fund, um, with, again, with post-tax dollars, but it basically employers can then determine like what the eligible expenses are for the LSA. Um, you know, it's usually typically like lifestyle type expenses or wellness type expenses. So, uh, gym memberships and things like that. So you can kind of drive really positive participant you know, behavior through this account by providing funds specifically for something you want to target. Um, and then pet insurance, you know, I mean, I've, as I've been a guest on this podcast before, I've had my dog in the background before, um, you know, it's something I've looked into. I've never actually enrolled in it, but, um, you know, pets, you know, pet, in, you know, pet um, adoption increased a lot during COVID. Mm. Um, and so maybe a lot of people have pets now and they're a few years into having those pets and they're starting to think about, Hey, how can I mitigate some of the medical expenses regarding having a pet? So that could be part of that too. You know, what you said about the HSA really resonated with me that it really is kind of a, an all in one option where, Hey, maybe you're looking to invest. Maybe you're looking to save. Maybe you just need to actually use these funds for existing expenses, but it really can meet pretty much anywhere where they're at. And I think that's, that's really interesting and probably accounts for why it's so popular. Yeah. Well, I was going to say too, I mean, and we have, you know, we have, you know, data and and we have some programs too, just from a participant communication standpoint around trying to meet people where they are with HSAs when they have one. And so 
you know, one of the things we've learned is like people commonly, you know, I think we've segmented eight, seven different HSA participant groups of like, okay, this person's wow. an investor, this person's a non-user, doesn't even engage in the account, this person is a spender, you know, things like that. But like one thing that we've seen is like people do hop from stage to stage in their life, like we all do, like we all, yeah, absolutely, we're evolving, you know, so, um, you know, I wasn't always an investor, now I'm an investor today. So I think, you know, that's a part, big part of it, I'm sure, from the education standpoint is like there are people who is, have been an HSA spender for four years and they love spending their HSA funds, but they finally have a little bit of a balance and they're like, hey, okay, I want to start looking at long-term retirement planning with this account. I want to start, you know, investing my funds, you know, again, with an HSA, all funds carry over from year to year. So those are great retirement planning and investment tools. Um, so I think that's probably a huge part of it. Sure. Sure. And I got to tell you, having now working in kind of a more remote posture, it, it is great to have my my four legged friends home and and, and my <laughs> colleagues in the house. So, you know, I, I, too, understand wanting to look maybe more into pet insurance. I think that's really cool that 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 came up, that people are interested in that. It, it yeah. really does speak to kind of the dynamic in which we work now. Yeah. I mean, I've I've, I've looked into it almost every year and, and uh, you know, my dog is now just turned 14, like a few months ago. Wow. And so he's, he's getting up there. So that's, you know, you really start thinking about pet insurance stuff at that point. Um, so totally sure. get that. Absolutely. Sure. So, so far, it sounds like the, the feedback we've heard from the survey really is, Hey, we, we like that. We, we get communication. We, we are interested in education. We want choice. Uh, and that it sounds like people know kind of what it is that they're looking for to some extent. Um, but that does bring me to maybe one of the final questions on the survey, which is we provided a list of common benefit terms uh, to, to kind of gauge how well individual participants understand them. So what did that tell us or, or how did they communicate back? Are, are they understanding the terms that are kind of normal or regularly thrown about in the industry? Yeah, I, it, that was an interesting list. Um, yeah, I think I don't remember how many terms were on the list or probably. 15 or something like that. But, um, you know, so what they came back with, we, we just basically wanted to understand their comprehension of terms they could commonly use. And again, it's, you know, it's not terms that necessarily we've created, it's not terms that necessarily any administrator has created. A lot of times these are IRS terms and they have very technical ramifications. They have, you know, compliance ramifications. But, um, you know, what they came back with, the most misunderstood terms on, on our survey were embedded versus non-embedded, which just refers to deductible types. Um, that was followed by substantiation, which is a really common term that gets used, um, you know, just to define substantiation. That's, you know, you have to provide, it's the process of providing documentation to prove that an FSA claim is eligible for FSA funds. So, you know, an explanation of benefits is commonly what that would be. Um, but, you know, that's definitely, you know, I, when I see a term like that as being misunderstood, that definitely gets me thinking about content opportunities again, like, you know, there's an opportunity here to educate an audience of what substantiation is because, you know, you need, and if you're going to use that term, you probably do need to spell out a little bit more of like what it actually means because it's not totally understood. But again, that's probably the cleanest way of saying it without writing really long sentences explaining it. So, um, so again, just food for thought, but, um, Coinsurance was high up there as well. Explanation of benefits, which again is is like a, a, a document that you can use to substantiate an FSA claim uh, that typically has all of the information that's needed to substantiate a claim as determined by the IRS. So um, 
I think, you know, my, yeah, my takeaways from, from those terms, again, if, if you're going to use those terms, just really think about like, okay, you know, if you can't probably just throw out substantiation without providing some sort of context. You know, you can't throw out coinsurance without some sort of context. I think that the audiences would appreciate that is, is what they're telling us. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and to be candid, Hayden, before I worked at Wex, I didn't understand what substantiation meant or, or certainly... I didn't know what an exp uh, explanation of benefits was. So I think there's something that also can be taken away or, or our listeners can can lean into, and, and that is that these are not in uh, insurmountable uh, challenges. These are things that absolutely can be educated on and have people actually get to a point that they're very comfortable with those terms, if that's the terms that they want to use. Well, it, it's challenging. I mean, just, you know, personally, from a communicator perspective, like in some ways it felt almost easier getting to what you're saying about like, yeah, well, I didn't understand what substantiation was before I started working here. Like I didn't either. And like, when I think about how I communicated when I first got into this industry, like, you probably were more cognizant of that because you yourself were still learning what all this stuff meant. And so now you get into a place where you've writ written about this for a while. You need those kind of reminders, I think, of like, oh, yeah, not everybody's like living in this world every day, you know, for five days a week you know, for five years. So, um, you know, it's it's important to have those reminders, I think, um, and because not everybody's like just, again, health insurance, health care. You want it when you need it. You know, you might spend months not thinking about it. Hopefully you spend longer than that. So. Um, it's good to have this kind of information to kind of support what we're doing. Absolutely. And it's great to hear that, you know, 90% of respondents are pretty engaged with their benefits. So that's an audience that wants to learn, wants to explore their benefits, wants to to do things. So, and I'm sure that that those numbers are pretty, uh, pretty much the same across the board for all of our clients as well. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was a wide pool. So Absolutely. Well, Hayden, as always, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your insights. Uh, you are always welcome to come back anytime you'd like. Uh, please never hesitate. And I want to also thank all of you, our listeners, for tuning into today's episode. If you haven't already, and I don't know why you wouldn't have, but go ahead and subscribe to Benefits Buzz and leave us a review. We also would love to hear what topics may be of interest to you. We're happy to cater the podcast to your needs. Thank you very much, everyone. Hope you have a great time. Thank you. Wax is in the business of simplifying benefits for everyone. Now, although we certainly hope our podcast sparks some aha moments, like that was pretty cool, but of course we cannot provide legal investment or financial advice. And well, therefore, nothing shared in this podcast should be interpreted as such. We encourage you to seek out appropriate professional advice regarding your plans. Hey, congratulations. You made it through our disclaimer. <laughs> Thanks for listening.